Well, good morning. Uh, if you're with us online or here for the first time, know that we're glad you're here with us today. It's so great to have all of us together, isn't it? Right? Amen. Uh, it's, it's, it's been an exciting day. Um, you know, I, something I've been excited about for a while. And we think about a special day like today where we can all get together again, you know, and, and look at the book of Philippians, today's passage. Uh, it wouldn't be the first, you know, choice of passages to preach, maybe. And there are a lot of great life verses in Philippians, uh, but I don't know of many people that would look at our passage today uh, and say, you know, my life, my life verse is in this passage. This is the part of uh, uh, Philippians that we would easily be easy to gloss over, kind of skip over, and because, you know, well, we have a travel itinerary today. That's, that's what we have today, a travel itinerary. <laughs> if you remember, the book of Philippians, it's a letter back to one of Paul's supporting churches, and he just uh, finished writing a great uh, theological stretch of content. And then we get to today, and we've got a few travel details in regards to two of Paul's friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, but I, I want to assure you that I don't think that today's passage today is an accident for us, especially on a day like today, because as we get into our passage, we'll see that a major, uh, we'll see that this part of Philippians is actually a major part of the vision of our church. And, and in all honesty, it has a lot to do with why our church even exists. And, and in many ways, this travel itinerary in Philippians 2, I believe, I believe it's been providentially placed for us today. Uh, and as a church, we get to remember our call. We get to refix our gaze on what God has called us to do. And so that said, our main idea for today is joy is found in faithful sending. Joy is found in faithful sending. You know, I wish I could have planned this myself, but I, I didn't. You know, last week we saw the first half of our vision statement, which is we exist to see Jesus change lives. Uh, we saw how God changes us, how God makes us more like Jesus. We saw, we, we saw the hope and the fuel for true life change last week. And it came out of a response to the gospel that we saw at the beginning of chapter two. And this week at the end of chapter two, we see the second half of our vision statement, which is to reach the world. And at first glance, uh, we realize that no, there's nothing in our passage today that mentions anything about the world or the nations or global missions. Uh, but what is in our passage that we can't miss is the joy of faithful sending. Sending those we love to those we love uh, or to those that need the love of Christ. Uh, or, or to those that need the love of Christ. And what I, what I know to be true is that we can't reach the world if we don't faithfully send to the world. And if you're new to our church, or if you've been coming around for a while, something we are adamantly committed to here at New City Church is living a sent life. We believe every member is a missionary. Uh, we, we end every service by saying, New City Church, you are sent out. All right, that's what we, we end every service that way. And it's because we believe our entire life is to be lived sent. You can't read through the Bible uh, and not see that God, the God of the Bible, he is a sending God. There is a continual and repeated theme throughout the Bible where God says, go here or, or come here or follow me here. It's all over the Bible. There's a, con uh, there's a constant moving and mobilizing of God's people. Uh, we as Christians are either sent across the street, we're sent across town, across the state, across the United States or across the globe. Or as my college pastor always said, we're sent across the salty pond. And there's no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we serve a God that sends his people. 
Uh, and when we think about sending, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. Uh, but in, in many ways, it, it may seem strange because in our culture, we emphasize stability, kind of settling down, establishing yourself, which are good things. And we should all seek to do these things. And so when we talk about sending, sending people for global missions or, or church planting or even sending across town or across the street or being sent into the workplace or to your campus or to your school, when we talk about sending, it's with a purpose, there's a very big difference in being sent by God for a purpose compared to just aimlessly kind of wandering or searching or go wherever is easiest or most comfortable. There's nothing in the Christian life or in the Bible that gets at this idea, you know, we kind of just go wherever the wind blows us or uh, wherever we can live our best life. No, as Christians, we go wherever we go, wherever we go with a purpose and it's two people. Whoever the God of the universe sends us to, that's where we go. If God sends you to your neighbor, which let me remind all of us, he has, uh, we go to our neighbor. If God sends us to our coworker, uh, which again, he has, we go to our coworker. If God sends us to plant a church or you to plant a church across the country, you go plant a church across the country. Uh, and if God sends you across the salty pond to cross a culture to an unfamiliar country where nobody is like you, talks like, uh, looks like you, talks like you, or dresses like you, then we go to that place and reach those people. Right? This is just the heartbeat of God. And my heart and prayer for us is that this would be the heartbeat of our church. Every person that calls New City Church home, listen, we all have a purpose. God sends his people to people. He's ascending God and his people are to obey and to go to those people. This is just who we are. This is who God is. What can't be missed in sending is that when someone is sent to a place or to people and to people, there are always others on the other end that are sending the ones who are sent out. They're holding the rope. And when me and my wife, you know, when we moved to Central Asia several years ago, we had the, we had the sweetest man kind of walking with us before we left and while we were there. And also when we came back, we called him Pastor George. You know, I, I, don't have, I don't have favorites, but he, he may have been one of my favorites. <laughs> um, you know, he was in his 70s. He could make anybody laugh. Uh, one of the greatest gifts we had when we were on the field, he came and visited us for three days. Uh, he encouraged us. He blessed us. And I laughed for three days straight. It was such an encouragement to us. You know, I just love that man. And one of the things he would often say to us was, when you go, I'll hold the rope for you. That's what he always said. I'll hold the rope. Or he would finish his emails to us and he'd say, uh, he, would, he would sign it saying, holding the rope, uh, signed Pastor George. And this phrasing of, of holding the rope, it came from William Carey, a well-known missionary, uh, often called the father of modern missions that went to India in the late 1700s and was there until his death uh, in, in 1834. And many people have heard of William Carey, uh, but far fewer people know of his relationship with his friend and his pastor, Andrew Fuller. And to many, moving, across, moving cross-culturally as a missionary, especially during this time, it seemed like you were going down into a deep, dark, unexplored mine, a deep pit, just a crazy thing. And so both William Carey and, and Andrew Fuller, they both knew this and they both understood this well. They both knew of the need and the call for Christians to be sent into hard places, to unreached peoples, to specifically dark, uh, to spiritually dark places that have no gospel witness. And, and right before William Carey left, uh, getting, getting at that idea of being sent down into a deep, dark hole, uh, he famously told his friend Andrew Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the rope. 
And New City Church, when we look at this passage today, when we wrestle with this text today, I want to call each of us to do some serious soul searching because some of us at some point will need to go down into the pit while others of us will need to hold a rope. And I want you to hear from me before we go any further. I'm committed to holding the rope for whoever we send. And I also want you to hear from me, don't think this isn't something I don't wrestle with, our family doesn't wrestle with every single year, year after year with our family. I don't have a doubt in my mind that just like many of you, we are right where the Lord has called us. This is where we have been sent, doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, and likely our family for a very long time. But that said, we're still committed to year after year, ask the same question, saying, Lord, are we right where you want us? Because by golly, if if I'm not holding the rope, Uh, If we're not where the Lord wants us, at some point, if the Lord calls us, you better believe that me and my family, we are going down into that pit and we're going to be calling on some of you to hold the rope for us. And so that said, as we look at what some would say is our mundane passage for today, I don't want us to miss the extraordinary calling that it highlights for each of us to living a sent life. Something we know uh, is that we all... uh, is that we're all sent across the street. Some may be sent across the state and some may be sent across the salty pond. But but regardless of wherever we're sent, we all have a calling to live sent. Uh, And let me just say this. If if you're not a Christian here today, uh, let this be an opportunity for for you to kind of peek behind the curtain to the Christian life to see the Christian life, to see that it's far, it's far from a boring life. But rather, I hope that you'll see as Christians, God has called us to something way bigger than anything any of us could ever dare dream. And so that said, as we look at sending today, follow along with me in Philippians 2, starting in verse 19. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole passage, and I want you to pay close attention to how often he says send. Look at verse 19. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel, with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, uh, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So as I said earlier, uh, Paul has two faithful brothers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he wants to send these two brothers to the Philippi church. Both of these men, they're, they're examples for us in sending. They're a model for us to follow. And so as we see the joy in sending, there are two specific principles that I want us to see today uh, in sending. Number one, we send our best. And number two, sending is a sacrifice. We see those two principles. It's really throughout the entire uh, section. It's all throughout the Bible as well. Uh, And for us, these two guys, they're models for who we send and really faithful models to the Christian life. And so that said, we know from our passage, what we know from our passage is that Paul has not yet sent these two guys. He says in verse 19, he hopes to send Timothy. And in verse 25, he says he finds it necessary to send Epaphroditus. 
And so we're going to take a quick look at these relationships, the relationship of Paul uh, and these two men. First, you know, Paul says about Timothy in verse 20, Paul says, I have no one like him. And, and that uh, he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for their welfare. In verse 21, Paul says, uh, you know Timothy's proven worth. He also says uh, he served uh, with Paul in the gospel. He saw him like a son. So we know that they were close. And then he says about Epaphroditus in verse 25, uh, Paul calls him his brother, his fellow worker, and a soldier. Paul says he's their messenger. And so we know that uh, the Philippi church, they knew who this guy named Epaphroditus he had been with them before. And we also see that Epaphroditus ministered to Paul. And he also had a desire. He had a love and he had a longing to be with their church. And so th- these two men, they're not just two random guys off the street. Right? They were close to Paul. Paul could vouch for them. Paul had spent time with them. He invested in them. You know, they, they probably shared meals with Paul. You know, I imagine they served in their community, community together, learning from him and watching him, seeing both his strengths and his weaknesses. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Paul likely confessed his sin to these guys. They were, there was a mutual encouragement with one another, a love for one another. They carried each other's burdens. I, you know, I bet they, they had a few disagreements that they had to work through together. You know, I bet they prayed for one another, grieved together. They had to figure out hard situations together. How can I say that? Because as he says about Timothy, they had uh, something close to a father-son relationship. They were close. It says in verse 22, Timothy had proven his worth to them. Now, uh, I've learned, you know, if I've learned anything about ministry, mission work, and just life in general, you know, a good way to find out someone's proven worth, as, as Paul says, uh, if you want to find out what's really inside of a person, you watch, you watch how they deal under pressure. You watch their attitude and you watch their character. Uh, not when it's easy, but when they're under stress. You know, there's a, there's a surefire way to find out what's really inside of a person. And I think, it, I think it makes sense. If you want to find out what's inside of an orange, the best way to do it is to cut it open and squeeze it and see what comes out. Or we get that. You know, if it's not orange juice or it doesn't taste very good, you know you got a problem on your hands. You know, I think we all get this. Uh, it's, it's, it's easy to put on a nice face for an hour at a Bible study or at a Sunday gathering. But the true test to figure out what's inside a person, as Paul says, is to see their proven worth, to send them into difficulty and then uh, see what they grasp onto. Right? The, when, they, when they get squeezed, see what comes out. Is it nice, sweet OJ, or is it uh, something you just want to spit out? Paul had seen this with Timothy. Paul knew what was inside of Timothy. Timothy had proven himself. He had proven he had some good orange juice inside of him. And so Paul, Paul desired to send him. And then with Epaphroditus, Paul called him a soldier. He had seen him fight and labor for the gospel. Uh, he called him a minister to his need. We, we know that Paul had benefited from his ministry. Again, these aren't just random guys off the street. Paul actually knew them. Uh, they could vouch for, he could vouch for these guys. He knew them. He, wanted, he watched them. He had seen them serve and do ministry. And I guess we could say he's kind of like Mario and Luigi, right? Uh, or, or Batman and Robin. Uh, or to stick with the Disney uh, theme in Philippians here, we could say it's Woody and Buzz Lightyear. Uh, they, were, they were companions. Right? They were fighting for each other. And so we see that Paul desired, he desired to send his best, which leads us to our first principle today. Just like Paul, when we send, number one, we send our best. Now, this is an important uh, mission and sending principle we take very seriously. Uh, when we send people out from our church, whether it be on short-term trips, uh, midterm, or long-term, uh, or for the rest of their life, my desire is that it would be an extreme honor when we send people out of our church that we're not just sending any random person or people, but we're sending out our best. 
If they've been tested and tried and squeezed and observed to see what comes out, right? Like Paul did with Timothy. They wouldn't just be any random person to us, but they would be close, dear brothers and sisters in Christ that have ministered to us, labored with us, fought with us as soldiers like Epaphroditus. And so what does this mean for each of us? Before people get sent and go across the state or across the salty pond, they first need to obedient to go across the street. If we're not living missional here, why would we live missional somewhere else? As many have said, uh, there's no transformation by aviation. You can't just get in a plane and all of a sudden transform. Although in some ways I do kind of disagree with that statement. Uh, because when you get on a plane and go somewhere, specifically on a short, short-term trip for like a week or 10 days, you have one purpose and it's to live on mission. And, and, and when we're here, it's easy for us to get sidetracked and forget what God has kind of called us to do. And so on short-term trips, I do believe uh, are a great way to kind of fan the flame as a means to grow our missional urgency. But for midterm and long-term missions, I totally agree. If you're not living on mission here, you won't do it there. But getting back on track here, there there are several reasons we send our best, specifically for midterm or long-term missions. And the first reason is because when we send, uh, we want it to be a blessing and not a burden. If we send people that haven't been tested and haven't proven their reliability and faithfulness in ministering the gospel, as as Paul points out in verse 21, they might not see, he says, they might not seek the benefit of others, genuinely concerned for their welfare, but rather they may seek their own interest. To say it again, uh, if people haven't proven themselves to be faithful here, they likely won't be faithful somewhere else. And so if we want to, if we want to see the gospel advance and bear fruit, we need to send people that have a history of faithfulness in bearing fruit. And so if you desire to be sent out by the local church, the best thing to do is to be faithful right where you are. And do it and finish well, finish what the task that God has called you to finish, to be faithful to finish what you start. But then the second reason is because when you've invested in people, when those we love, have, we've seen their proven, their, they've proven their faithfulness, their reliability, their maturity, right? when we've cried and laughed and when we've shared a meal with people and we've seen them in their highs and in their lows, when these things happen, uh, we're better at holding their rope because we know them better. Right? We understand them better and, uh, and know what to look out for when they really need us more. And so when we sin, it's not for just those receiving them or the ones being sent. But as we see here, it's also for those who send them. Because we see Paul was encouraged and found great joy in sending his best. But then also what we see here when we send our best, we also know that it comes with a cost. Uh, to say it a different way, number two, sending is a sacrifice. When we send our best, there's no doubt about it. There's a sacrifice involved. We know that Paul uh, sending both Timothy and Epaphroditus was a sacrifice for Paul. Timothy served Paul and encouraged him. And here is Paul. He's in prison wanting to send him, knowing of the sacrifice of losing a good friend. uh, Because when sending a good friend, it's hard. right? It's a sacrifice. It will leave a little bit of a relational void. And Paul, but Paul knows it will encourage them. Now, that's not a very common thing in our culture for someone to desire to send away their best friend. That's a hard thing to do. There's a void that will come with it. But may we not forget of why Paul is writing this letter. Remember that up to this point, Paul has made it clear that his primary purpose in his life is to see the gospel advance. Paul has already said his famous statement. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knows that it's far better for him uh, to go and be with the Lord. But if he stays, it's to benefit the church. 
Paul's primary purpose in his life was to advance the gospel and not to make his life better or to make it easier. And Paul knows that sending these two faithful men is a sacrifice because he benefits from them. But in line with his life purpose, he finds great joy in sending them. Because he knows that in sending them, the church will be strengthened, encouraged, and grows that he's sending them to. It will benefit them in gospel advancement. Paul has a gospel above all approach to life. And this is a real life example put into action and modeled before us. And this is, this is what we call a gospel goodbye. They're hard. They're difficult. Because we're losing a close friend. But yet we know that the advancement of the gospel is worth it. Because again, of everything Paul has set up to this point... If we view sending out our best from an earthly perspective, it, make, it makes no sense, right? It just seems silly. But if we view it from a gospel perspective, as we saw from the beginning of Philippians 2, it makes perfect sense. If you're not a Christian today, hear this. Or if you are a Christian, remember this. This is our foundation for sending. Remember that Jesus left his throne where he was with God. And in humility, Jesus humbled himself. And Jesus became a baby. He became a human in obedience. Jesus died a criminal's death that he did not deserve to die. But rather, he died the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin and our disobedience. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die a humiliating death. And in so doing, he took on our humiliation so that we could be with him, so that we could be exalted with him. We could say it this way. In the gospel, because of Jesus, God takes us as rebels and he redeems us. Through Jesus, God takes our mess and he turns us into his masterpiece. God takes the hopeless and he makes them holy. God takes the wretched and he makes them righteous. This is the gospel. If you're not a Christian or if you are a Christian, you need to hear and remember this today. Jesus takes our sin on himself and we get his standing before God and it only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of this, we are then sent out into the world. Jesus was sent to the world, and then he was sent to the cross. And we're now sent into the world, proclaiming the victory of the cross. And remember, Christian, we, are, we aren't just sent for being sent. We're sent with a message. We're sent with a purpose. We're sent to people to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he takes away the sin of the world. And Paul beautifully highlights this at the beginning of Philippians 2, and then also in verses 9 through 11. Paul says in Philippians 2.9 that we looked at a few weeks ago that says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And this is what I want to point out in verse 10 and 11, why sending is hard but why it's worth it. Paul says about Jesus being exalted here. He says, So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We go and we send so that every tongue may confess that Jesus is Lord. We send people to hard and to difficult places, to unreached parts of the world, because it's estimated that over half of the world's population will be born, live their entire life, and never hear the name of Jesus. And do you know where most of them live that will never hear the name of Jesus? They live in hard, difficult places that most Americans wouldn't dare dream go. And get this, today, today, over 70,000 people will die today that have never had the opportunity to even hear the name of Jesus. No one was there to tell them. It's tragic. 
It's a tragedy. People all over the world need to hear the name of Jesus. We go to parts of the world where the name of Jesus Christ is not known because God's desire is for every tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because we know, we have a promise that, from, that someone from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a promise and because of that we make a sacrifice to send our best and to go to these hard and difficult places. I could give statistic after statistic of why we need more people going to unreached parts of the world. But today I'll just give one. You know, it's estimated that there's 780,000 evangelical Christians for every one people group in the world. And what that means is that if we sent one, just 1% of that, if one out of every 100 Christians moved their life to one of these unreached parts of the world, we would have 780 missionaries per people group. New City Church, Luke 10.2 is clear as day. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Brothers and sisters, God's word calls us to pray for more laborers. This is why our church exists. I want, uh, I want us to remember our call today. We are here laboring in Tampa so that God may raise up more laborers to send out into the harvest. Your next door neighbor, your, your classmate could be the next Apostle Paul, could be the next Billy Graham, could be the next William Carey. I want to be loud and clear on this. I could not care less about having a bunch of people come in and sit in our church. We do not exist to grow our attendance. We exist to raise up laborers to send out into the Lord's harvest. We exist to see lives radically changed by the gospel and then sent out with the gospel. We either go or we send. There is no idol in between. We either, we're either in the game or we're not. If we're on the sidelines, it's time to jump into the game. Brothers and sisters, the going and the sending, it starts here. It starts by going to your neighbor, by going to your friend, by going to your coworker. Which leads me to ask a simple question. If we're going to our neighbor, well, then who's holding your rope? Who's praying with you? Who's praying for you? Because if we're serious about going across the street, we'll be serious about having someone send us. We'll be serious about having someone hold the rope for us and asking them to pray for us and hold us accountable. Again, I could give statistic after statistic of why we should go and why we should send. And at some level, these are appropriate. But this is what we need to get to get, get today. Our greatest motivation for going and sending is not because of a statistic that may cause us to be guilted into going but rather it's because the gospel demands it. We go and we sin because Jesus was sent to us. This is our motivation for going and sending. Jesus was in the best place possible, but he sacrificed and he went to the cross to rescue us. Brothers and sisters, we have an incredible example in the gospel for going and sending. Again, the greatest sacrifice we see in going and sending was, was God sending his son, Jesus, to be sacrificed on the cross. And Jesus, in obedience, actually going to the cross. And so as followers of Christ, we can go to hard places and do hard things because the one we follow, he did just that by going to a bloody, bloody cross to take on the sins of the world. We could say it this way. We go to the world because Jesus died for the world. Not only did he die for the world, but he defeated sin and death so that the whole world would know of the victory of the cross. And so as a response to what Jesus has done for us, we go and we sin and we sacrifice for others to get the gospel to them because Jesus first died for us. And so when we understand the glory of Jesus being sent to the cross, we can then grasp the gift of being sent to proclaim the message of the cross. We are all sent 
Because when we accept the glory of the cross, we're grafted into a sent life. That's just what we, that's just what we get. Paul knew this. Timothy knew this, and Epaphroditus knew this. There's no doubt about it. There is a sacrifice in sending, but that said, as we've already seen in the gospel, there's not only a sacrifice for the one sending, there's also a great sacrifice for the one going. And we know that for Epaphroditus, this was no easy endeavor for him. This was clearly a challenge for Epaphroditus because the man got sick and he almost died. And it says in verse 30 that by going Paul, uh, going to Paul, it says he, he risked his life. And what is very clear that we need to remember today that when we are sent and when we go across the street or when we go across the globe, there's nothing easy about it. There's a risk involved. There's a challenge involved. But as we know, although there is risk, the risk is worth it because the gospel is worth it. You know, this week... I read an illustration uh, that I thought was appropriate for this passage today. And it was specifically around this idea of kind of handing over your entire life to the Lord, right? Saying to God, do with me as you please. My entire life, it's yours to be yours. Saying, saying as, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And you know, we often think of going and sending, you know, it's a, it's a really big, uh, massive leap of faith. Uh, And yes, it absolutely is a a massive leap of faith. But what's interesting about our text today that we haven't really touched on much is that a lot of what we see with both Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're actually just normal, ordinary Christian things. I know I'm not talking about Epaphroditus almost dying, uh, but what I am talking about is they're going and they're just caring for the church, caring for a brother, trying to be an encouragement. They're doing simple, ordinary things. They made it into the Bible by being faithful in the ordinary and in the mundane things. In the illustration that I read this week by a, game, uh, by a guy named Fred Craddock, uh, he, lacquer, he, he, he likened our sacrifice as Christians to kind of cashing in a large check. He actually said a $1,000 bill, but those don't actually exist anymore. Um, he's a little bit older. Uh, you know, uh, we often think of, of giving our life to the Lord it's kind of going and taking this large check and saying, uh, here it is, right? Everything I've got, everything I own, it's in this one check and laying it on the t- table and saying to God, it's all yours. I'll give you my everything. And that's, this is all good and true. But the reality for most of us is that then he, he, he then sends us uh, with that check to the bank and he tells us to cash that one check by, in all quarters, And he then calls us to go through life giving 25 cents here and 50 cents there and a dollar here and $5 there and $10 here, saying he's got our entire life, but he wants to spend it for him in daily and regular and normal and ordinary sacrifices for the gospel. To be sent across the street just to listen to your neighbor's struggles or to be sent across town to tutor a kid every week or to have someone over for a meal, or to write someone an encouraging note, or, or day in and day out serving and loving and sacrificing for your family, or to make a small sacrifice for your coworker or a family member. And I say this because usually giving our life to Christ isn't, it's not always in the spotlight. Right? We won't all uh, be like William Carey going to the ends of the earth. But you know what I know? If God calls you to go to a new place, Or if God has called you to a new place, when you get there or while you're here in your head, you may have thought it was that one big check by just getting there. But I get the impression that we'll quickly realize that just like most missionaries, when they land in their new country, that that one big check will need to be cashed in a few quarters at a time. 
day in and day out, simple, ordinary acts of service, small acts of obedience to share the gospel, to build relationships with and serve others, to care for the hurting and for the needy. That's what happened to William Carey when he moved his life to a hard and difficult place. And when he got there, he had to cash, he cashed in his check a few quarters at a time, a few dollars at a time. The only difference was he was just in a different place. And so we think about going and sending, whether it's across the street or across the globe, as we've seen from our passage today, that we want to send our best and we know that it will be a sacrifice. But I want to close today by putting a little bit more flesh on this for us. You know, because part of sending well is, in, is, is understanding the importance of, of holding the rope. You know, at the uh, very end of our service today, we're gonna, for those who are, or who are here in person, uh, it can't be streamed online because of uh, security reasons, but we're going to have a three to four minute video uh, for two of our partners who are living overseas. You know, one of them's in South Asia. Many of you uh, may know her. Uh, we've been praying for a number of their villages uh, in her area over the past year. But uh, something I'm really excited about is we have a new partnership in another very hard and a very difficult part of the world. Some of you also may know this couple. You know, they're good friends of, of me and Kelly's, of our, of our families. We served on staff together. What they're going and doing in their country is actually one of my hobbies. Uh, is they're doing it for a means of work. And what's, what's really special for me and Kelly with this couple is they're actually going to serve with a family, uh, family member of a family that we got really close to when we lived overseas. And so it's been a really neat thing for us to be able to connect them to this place. And we're super excited to partner with them. They're, they're serving in the part of the world, like I said, for security reasons. We can't share where they're going. But as we show the video at the very end of our service of, of both of these, uh, the couple and the single girl, I want you to think of three things of, of how you can hold the rope, how we can all collectively hold the rope. And it's praying, giving, and going. First praying, I'm convinced of this. And in all honesty, our partners on the field have convinced me of this. And being on the field, seeing it firsthand has convinced me of this, that when we pray and when we beg God on their behalf, it moves the hand of God. I've seen it time and time again. Uh, and when there's a specific targeted prayer for a specific place and a specific people, God begins to till the soil and to grow and to reap the harvest. If the only thing we do as we hold the rope is to pray earnestly and consistently, then praise God. Because as our partners say often, prayer is the greater work. May we be a people that hold the rope by praying earnestly for them. And then secondly, giving, just like we did last year. We're going to have a special offering as the year ends where 100% of this offering will be earmarked for both global missions and church planting. Uh, you'll see our missions partners today. We're still working on our church planting partners, but from what I know, I'm really excited about those too. And so uh, begin praying and thinking about what you may be able to give as an above and beyond gift to be used specifically for sending purposes. And then lastly, going. Obviously, we have a few obstacles right now. Uh, in global sending, but it, it won't always stay this way. You know, I said this last year, and although uh, it got a little derailed, uh, I still believe it and I'm praying for it. My hope and prayer is that every member would be mobilized in some way for cross-cultural missions, whether it be short-term, mid-term, or long-term. I don't know the logistics of how this all will happen, but I do know that we serve a big God. And I also know that last year, uh, we raised enough funds to send one person to South Asia for six months. And this is a simple reminder that those funds are still available. As, the country, as soon as the country opens up, uh, maybe God is calling you. And then lastly, something I don't want us to miss, although sending globally in the immediate future has been a bit stifled, may I remind us yet again, we are still sent across the street and across town. 
But what I don't want us to miss here is that all, although sending in the immediate future around the world is a bit more challenging, I do believe that God has called some of you or, or maybe calling a few of you to possibly move your entire life cross-culturally into a context that has no access to the gospel. And so my question for each of you, myself included, is to ask, has God called you? And so let's start preparing you now to be sent. Would you let us know if that's you? Of how we could begin preparing for you, praying for you? New City Church, God has called us to send and to go. It may look different for each of us, but that said, I hope that you've seen today. There is great joy that is found in faithful sending. Let's pray. God, you're a big God. God, you're a global God. God, you sent us uh, across the street and you sent us across the world. But Father, wherever you call us to go, may we be faithful. Father, may we day in and day out make uh, great sacrifices in the small, ordinary, normal acts of life. God, you're a good God. You're a great God. May we believe that today and act accordingly. We ask this all in Jesus' name.